You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I host the radio show. Used to be on the Commander's Beat. Logan, well, he played games in the NFL. Now we both sit here and talk into these microphones. Uh, Logan, huge win for the Commanders. 23-21 over Green Bay. This is the part of the week where we break it down in depth. Uh, and let's start Let's start with the quarterback. Uh, because the narrative, I feel like, it, it was funny. So earlier today, a uh, taped interview with Zaire Franklin who is the all-everything linebacker for the Colts right now, stepping in uh, and just, you know, leading the NFL in tackles, uh, you know, supplementing what Shaquille Leonard uh, usually does. Uh, But he was talking about the media, and he's like, all due respect, but y'all love a narrative. Y'all love to ride the wave. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't do that. I try to to stay pretty even-keeled. But I don't always succeed, and it's definitely true that the media at large Tends to tends to run with certain things, and the narrative I think is that Taylor was okay. Like, eh, yeah. like I, I saw JP tweeting out the other day, which is something that is true. Is like let's let's relax on like Taylor's also the savior, you know, the right. high and the low, because at halftime everyone thought that uh, Sam Howell was going to be playing by mid third quarter, sure. and uh, the reality is uh, Taylor Taylor played the full game and and figured some things out. And uh, upon watching the tape, I think. You, you've come to the conclusion that he played perhaps even better than people realized initially. Yeah, I mean, I th- so I understand. I, like, I was watching the game with everybody else, and the first half of that game was tough. I think it, it, during stretches he um, – you know, I think there was the the first ball to Curtis Samuel even right at the gate is kind of behind and in a tough spot, and he drops it. The next play is to Terry on a kind of a scissors concept. So he's Terry's running a quarter. Cam Sims is running a clear, and there's three dudes at the ball obviously the pick. And I think the pick is a little bit under, like maybe not his fault. Um, you know, what's his name? Rashawn Gary hits his arm while he's throwing the football. And I get it. Like the, the thing that stood out to me anyways, when I watched those first seven plays back is he's making the right read. Like mm-hmm. the, the decision to go to McKissick is correct. The decision to go to Terry on that deep end cut. That's kind of behind him while he's getting hit. That's the correct read. And I think that whole process, I'm like, that's all good stuff. That's stuff that the offense, was lacking before. And then I think you see kind of the value that he brings to the offense in the second half of that football game of just keeping the offense off on schedule and helping out the offensive line. I mean, it was, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but like he really elevated that group. You know, he's, you know, the, the first um, second down of the third, of the, the third quarter, he hits the check down to um, Brian Robinson for a first down, like that type of stuff. He works through his whole progression, gets the ball to Brian Robinson. It's first down. Then there's other plays that really stick out to you. And I think, you know, like there's a um, a third and five where uh, Sadiq Charles loses right now at the line of scrimmage. 
He ducks that. He works to his right. He runs away from uh, Kenny Clark, who's coming to tackle him. He sees uh, Armani Rogers open on the mesh and completes the ball. And I hate to like be drawing comparisons to Carson, but that's if Carson's in the game, that's a sack probably, mm-hmm. right? And I think there was, when you go back and watch it, I think I tallied him up. There were seven plays where there's a free rusher or a, approximately a free rusher that would have resulted in a sack, I felt like, if Carson was playing. Just because, you know, Carson doesn't throw with the same kind of anticipation or he hasn't been, and he's also been having a hard time, you know, with moving in the pocket. And for, for Taylor to do that stuff and, and convert those third downs, and even there was a play in the red zone where they run the same blitz that Chicago ran. They have a five-man front. Devondre Campbell blitzes the right A gap. It's essentially a free run of the quarterback. Taylor identifies it, lose a little, loses a little bit of ground to his left, and Terry's running a mesh concept. They're crossing, and right when he throws the football, Terry is completely stacked over defenders and the other mesh guy. And then the ball comes out, and Terry runs the ball, and it's a gain of four, but instead of being second and 15, it's second and six in the red zone and you're going going into score. So I think like those types of plays are, again, were a big deal. Just his anticipation. Like, you know, everyone's kind of making fun of the throw to Terry at the end of the game and like the third and nine. Like that, there's a dude in his lap. It's a crazy throw. Crazy throw, great anticipation. And again, understanding, like people say, oh, he's, he's got his eyes closed when he's making a throw. He understands how the concept is supposed to hold coverage. So that's where the ball, to my eye, is supposed to go. He knows that your best player on offense is is in a matchup there. Throw the football, right? And so I think like fans say, oh, and in the national media, like PFF was crushed him this morning, saying it was a terrible game. I'm not saying he played a perfect game, but he elevated this offense. And people look at the rushing statistics and they say, oh my gosh, look at you know we had 36 carries and this is how, this is what it takes to win. You don't get 36 carries in an offense if you're not converting third down. And you looked up a statistic that was crazy. It was like, I forget what it was. It was like four of six. On- yeah, so he, so basically we looked up, uh, again, our, our friends at True Media and and uh, are able to help us sort out this data. So through the first seven weeks total on third and seven plus, the commanders had uh, only converted through the air seven times and that's in a lot of attempts let's see that's 10 16 26 29 30 attempts six out of 30 so there's there's seven seven out of 30 and they actually completed uh against green bay they are four of six with all four going for first downs so there's there's four completions on six attempts and every single completion is for a first down and that is even like Carson's best game uh, was probably Jacksonville. And he goes six of six on the completions, but only four of them are four first downs. And like consistently, the, the completion percentage numbers are okay um, in all of these situations. But very rarely, like against Dallas, he completes five of 10 on third down and seven plus, but only two of them go for first downs. So you talk about making the right decision, executing within the timing of an offense to give your guys a chance. And Taylor does that time and time again in bad situations. Like they, and by the way, they were in better situations a lot more often. Um, but they also, when they got in bad situations, like his understanding of the offense, I think really shined through. Yeah. And again, like I'm not saying he carried the team, but like you're, like you said, the understanding of the offense, the anticipation required to make some of those throws. I mean, it was, it was next level, his ability to kind of move around. Like there was another play, it was third and 11, right? 
the Green Bay Packers come out, they played drop eight. You know, everyone should be familiar with drop eight after our conversation about the Tennessee game, right? But they basically are playing mm. two man with a spy on Taylor, three man rush, and two safeties deep. And so you can tell from his first drop that he knows it's drop eight. And he is being very patient. He knows it's man. He knows it's a three-man rush. And the demeanor of his drop changes. He finds his best matchup versus man-to-man coverage. It's Curtis on kind of a 10-yard bump the linebacker and pop out. I call it an attack route. And he just delivers it. The ball's high. Again, the accuracy issues are there. You see him. But the ball's on time. He understands. He's throwing with anticipation. And he understands the coverage, right? He understands what the defense is trying to do to stop him. And I just look at that and I say to myself, like, that that is a big deal for this offense moving forward. And again, right. are they gonna are they gonna be able to beat the the Buffalo Bills with this? Probably not. But again, is it, is this enough to beat the Indianapolis Colts? Yeah, I think so. And who? Which is like, we'll talk about this later in the week. But that's a very good defense right now. They're playing mm-hmm. at a high level. But I guess like that's that's what I'm saying is like this is a a performance that is statistically maybe not going to show up for a lot of people. But if you look at this down by down, especially the second half. He's elevating the offensive line. He's elevating the receivers. He's being kind of that point guard facilitator guy. And again, like that stuff is huge, quite frankly. So three things that I noticed from the game that I want to run by you, and we, we've touched on some of them already. So I, I'm glad, uh, you know, on a, on a personal level, I'm glad that my eyes were not deceiving. But there's, there's three things that I think really stood out for Heineke. One is the anticipation, which we've talked about, like his ability to like you see some of these slow motion replays where, you know, it's like real speed. They slow it down as the receiver's about to come out of the route and then slow mo through the catch and they speed it back up. Right. Right. And you can see the ball coming out as it's in slow motion as the receiver is coming out of his break. And so often with Wentz, that would happen and you'd see it on film. You'd see it on the TV copy. You'd see it on whatever Uh, the receivers open now. When, the, when he comes out of his break and that window closes like that. So by the time Wentz sees it and throws it, it's an incompletion or it's a contested catch or a, more often a contested incompletion because the guy gets drilled as he gets there versus ball is getting there as the guy comes open and it comes out of his break, ball is caught, and maybe even you get some yak if it's a nice and accurate throw. It's not always the case, but that is what it is, which leads me to point number two. Uh, his mechanics can get really sloppy. Yes. And I think that is something that if he can be more consistent, he will have less of these floaty balls. His ball will have more consistent NFL caliber zip on it. Classic um, floaty he ball. Will, yeah, you, can't, you hate, hate it when you got the floaty ball syndrome. Um, but he, he would have less of that, uh, which also I think creates potential more turnover-worthy plays. Some of these balls hang in the air forever. And if mm-hmm. a guy can read it, um, he can get there. The anticipation helps, though, because, you know, the play is designed in a certain timing. And if he he often, I do think, understands the coverage in a way that he can throw with the ball in the air a little bit longer, but understand that he's not putting it in harm's way, even though it might give the rest of us watching on TV a heart attack because uh, <laughs> we don't have that information in real time. And yeah, he does. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, that is that is a credit to him. Um, but also some of the inaccuracies, I think, come from, I don't want to call them lazy in terms of like intent, like I don't think it's an it's a oh I don't care lackluster thing, lackadaisical, but lazy mechanics where he's throwing off his back foot, throwing sidearm, doesn't have his base beneath him. Um, and then and, the third and, thing too, just real can quick, I, can I elaborate goes, on that for a second? Well, the, I, the third yeah, thing go goes ahead. with it too, though, is his mobility in the pocket made a huge difference. And you talk about yeah. the elevation of the offensive line, and some of the mechanical stuff is when he's running around, 
And if he would take a half beat to reset, he'd be more accurate. Um, but I do think the, the the mobility in the pocket compared to what it was with Wentz, Wentz is sacked seven, eight times in this game. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Taylor sacked one, one time for three yards. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, the offensive line, I don't want to say they played bad, but they did like that. We knew this group for Green Bay was a good bunch of pass rushers and that showed up. And I think some of his mechanic stuff, you know, I'm maybe giving him the benefit of the doubt here comes mm-hmm. from being under a lot of pressure. Like there's so many throws in this game where there's a dude right at his legs, right in his lap, and he's kind of falling out of that hit. And again, there's times where it's a clean pocket. And he's doing the same thing. But I do think that that's something that's critical to be aware of is just like that that the O-line is not pass protecting at a high level at the moment. You know, specifically Sadiq Charles had a tough time. You know, Norwell I thought played much better this week, but gave up a couple like quick. So the worst thing you can do as an offensive lineman is give up a quick win. And there was a couple of those that just came up, you know, and they happened too frequently. Lucas had one on Rashad Gary. Like, again, that stuff just comes up. And uh, and it's hard to kind of maintain consistent mechanics, I would imagine, as a quarterback in those situations. So I think no doubt. That's a huge, By the way, he threw thing. under pressure, uh, according to to PFF and True Media, uh, sixteen attempts of his, uh, which is tied for a season high for this team, came under pressure. He was seven of sixteen for seventy eight yards and a pick on those sixteen attempts. Yeah, and I also, so I think also like with with that, you know, people think. You know, like oftentimes a quarterback, he, you know, he has a propensity to hold the football for a long time. And I just felt like he was doing a really quality job of getting the ball out in the timing of the concept. Now, maybe they could have called some quicker stuff. Maybe they could have helped from that standpoint. But in terms of the concept that was called, like he's doing everything he can to get that ball out when he needs to. We talked about the, the anticipation and things like that. So I think he deserves a lot of credit. Now, that being said, it's important to remember that one of the worst plays of the game was taken off the board by that penalty, right? That sack right. fumble. Right. And the complexion of this game, maybe we're talking about him a little bit differently, but he locks out there and is able to kind of get away with one, in my opinion, that, you know, would have changed the complexion of the game for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and it's an unfortunate reality that I think sometimes his field awareness isn't great. Um, yeah. And he gets away with it there. And I think sometimes that shows up in, in passing situations and, um, I do think sometimes as he's running around, feel the ball feels a little careless, um, and and he can do a better job of, you know, concentrating on that ball security, down in and down out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. As far as the rest of the offense goes, um, I want to talk about a couple different facets. Um, one is the play calling. And I know we will get into this more next week, even though the game hasn't happened yet. You're like, how can you already know? Well, one of the big questions we had coming out of the game is, is Scott Turner calling a more complex, less predictable game because Taylor Heineke is the quarterback uh, or because he had extra time to prepare? Same thing he had in Jacksonville. The only other time we've seen a game plan that looks like this this season, Curtis Samuel, five carries, lots of shifts, lots of motion, uh, some creativity in terms of formations and personnel. After watching the tape, is there any hint as to the reason of that? Or are we just going to have to wait the week and see what he does against Indy? You know, I actually felt like this, like you said, I think you made a really nice comparison there, like with the Jacksonville game earlier when we were talking. And this game felt a lot like that. And I think, again, the, the thing that really stuck out to me is just how they were able to stay on the field on third down. I know they weren't exceptional, but I think total they were like seven or eight of 16, you know, yeah. something in that area, almost 50%. I think it's so, seven of 16. Yeah, so that is, I think that's a huge deal here, right? Because you get to see more of Scott's stuff. You know, you see that play with Armani Rogers as the quarterback running like a quarterback power off a jet sweep, sweep action to Curtis Samuel. Like, you get to see some of that stuff. You get to see the reverse to Curtis after you run the open side run to Gibson that runs for the 25 yard gain or whatever it is. Like you get to see that stuff kind of stack on itself. And I think that's really important that, that fans and and for us to keep in mind, analyzing this team is when you only get a a handful of play calls in very specific, because I think that's another thing that we've, we've talked about this before, but just a good reminder Mm -hmm. when you're in second and 10, third and 10 situations, you're not in the meat of your playbook. You're in kind of your periphery. You have like little grids on your playbook and one says third and 10, one says second and 10. And that's not a huge percentage of your playbook. And we've talked about how you can get, if you can get in those third manageables, second and manageable situations, you get bigger swaths of your playbook open to you. And so I think also like just kind of managing first down better in this game was a big deal. We, we haven't really talked about Brian Robinson, but I think he deserves a lot of credit. Gibson deserves a lot of credit for helping keep this offense on schedule. Like he never, like Robinson had one big run, like the one where he kind of fumbled the ball there, but mm-hmm. um, you know, that they reversed or whatever happened, but he does a really good job of not taking any negative runs. I think he had one bad run in the red zone where he tries to bounce it outside on like a yeah. duo play. Um, right. But other than that, I think he's pretty good about saying it's, it's muddy. Let me get three here. Let me get two. Let me get four. And, Second and eight, second, uh, second and seven, second and six is a very manageable down and distance. So I think that it obviously it's multifactorial. We've kind of talked through a couple of things here. It's execution on first down. It's execution on third down. But they all kind of support each other. And that, again, supports Scott's ability to get to more and more of his playbook. And so that offensive efficiency is huge because I think if you look at the first half when Taylor was struggling, they weren't like this crazy diverse offense, right? It was kind of like, oh my gosh, like they look like they've looked the past couple of weeks, you know, maybe this is Scott's thing. And then when Taylor finds his rhythm, starts completing passes, starts sustaining drives, a little bit of that's the running running game also, um, the offense comes alive, right? You see some of that other stuff, which I think is is super significant um, and, and, and really critical to how effective this group can be. 
So running game then is a huge part of this. What worked for them and, and how much of it was a carryover too from the second half against Chicago? Because they, they were a lot better in that second half in part because they got Gibson more involved. And I think people come, one of the, you know, you talk about narratives. I think one of the narratives that comes out of this game is like, oh yeah, Antonio Gibson's a really freaking good football player. <laughs> and it's like, why did we forget about this? Because he fumbled yeah. the ball one, you know, in the preseason. And uh, obviously it was a huge issue, but um, considering his fumble problems last year, right? Like that wasn't, that wasn't a made up story. And clearly they thought it was pretty important because they forgot about him uh, or, or kind of put him in the doghouse or whatever, whatever iteration of that you want to go with. But sure. uh, they, they're not as good if he doesn't get the ball with, uh, a high level of frequency and to watch him get back in the mix. I don't think uh, is coincidence that they've now won two games in a row with him playing a critical part on some key scoring. Drives. Well, I also think it's important to note that he still has ball security issues, Gibson. And I'm not trying to put anything bad on the guy, but when you watch him run, the ball is loose at his side. And, and I get that's, you know, you see what makes him so special. Like it was so fun for me to watch him, you know, obviously there was the big play, but I think it was like the next series. He runs an outside zone to the right, and he's kind of – he's tempoing it, and then you see his burst, and you mm. see him outrun the angle to the sideline, which, again, is one of those things you don't normally see from NFL running backs. I don't care how fast or how good you are. You don't normally see that. So to be reminded of that explosive big playability is, is, is pretty incredible, you know. But, again, ball security I think is still an issue for him. And also I think it's important to understand that he can have that burst late in the game because – Brian Robinson's taking 20 carries. Right. So it's right. it's they support each other. So it's not like you should give Gibson more carries. It's like right. this is kind of his utilization freak pack package, I guess, at this point, right? If that if that makes sense. 100 percent And that that's I, I don't think I did a good job of explaining that on the front end. It's like the reminder is Antonio Gibson is awesome. And so how do you maximize him? And the answer is you give Brian Robinson more carries. Yeah. You know, the, the balance, and that's kind of what I was asking is like. How much of this do you think is a continuation from something they figured sure. out in Chicago? How much of this is whatever the reason? And like, also, what effect did the five can, uh, carries for Samuel have in terms of yeah. what the defense's response was and why Gibson's able to get some of the big ones, Robinson's able to stay effective, Curtis gets some key uh, yards at key times. How did those all interplay? And, and you know, how was Scott's kind of, hey, you're a run game coordinator. Uh, for for old Independence High yeah, School. Yeah, for old Independence uh, High School. Yeah. So how how did how do you look at the way the run was called throughout the game, building on itself? Because it felt like to me watching it live that they always were having the right run at the right time, and that's that hasn't happened in a while. It did feel like that, and I think a little bit of that is also kind of a good game plan, good in the week game plan. You know, like I look at I, I did a breakdown of this, which is going to come up on Wednesday show of uh, the command center. And I was looking at Gibson's long run and just the the kind of the stuff that goes into that, right? And, and what I mean by that is there's a there's a motion to start. And what that gets is the linebackers bounce with the motion. So Devondre Campbell, who's probably your maybe one of your best players on defense, is now out of the box moving with the motion guy. Then they bring kind of a flash block by Armani Rogers to the backside end. And then that takes the strong safety out of the box because he thinks he's running to the flat. So you are now left with a nickel player who has no in godly intention of wanting to tackle a soul in the box by himself. And so, again, that just means he's a little bit slower to fit. Great job by Lucas on the edge there with uh, Rashad Gary. But that's great game planning, right? That's understanding how Green Bay is going to respond to those motions, right? And, and it's a great job by the back because earlier in the game, Gibson's running a run from offset gun to the left and it's running to the right. 
and he cuts the ball up way too quick and he makes the O-line look bad because he does, he's not stretching it enough to the front side. So I think it's also Gibson's getting more experience. He's learning and he can say, oh man, I really screwed that first one up. Let me on the second one kind of press it a little bit more front side and see what happens. And it puts the O-line in better spots. It lets Larson get the get to that nickel player and it puts you in a really good position to like make a nice run. And I think that's something that Brian Robinson does more consistently consistently than um, than Gibson. But also mm-hmm. I think to, to the credit of the scheme is the backs did a really good job. This is something I don't love about this scheme, but they did a really good job of being patient to the edge. And oftentimes the edge players would kind of peek their heads inside, like go from a D gap player to a C gap player. And every time that happened, Robinson, Gibson, Curtis were able to maximize that touch by getting to the edge and making it a big play. So I think that that kind of stuff is, again, that's a little schematic to Green Bay, but that's also just guys getting more comfortable with the run game and understanding the timing and rhythms of it. And you mentioned, because you started to see a little bit of that come alive for them in um, in Green Bay. They had a bye, kind of a pseudo bye week where they're doing some self-scouts. So maybe they say we can coach the backs up a little bit harder on this. And this is the result, right, is you get a little bit more efficient stuff. Now they have to keep growing and keep maturing with this, but I think that's a big factor for sure. All right, last thing for the offense. Uh, Ter- Terry got the ball. Hallelujah. Terry McLaurin, everybody. He got he got eight targets. He's, he's eight the targets? best player on the team. Wow. And that's that's great. It hadn't happened a lot this year. Um, second half against Detroit, they, they got that tally up there, but that's in a non-competitive situation, really. Um, you know, a couple other times where they're out of it late, he gets up close to that total. But, like, this started early, was consistent, and he made monster play after monster play. And to, to circle things back around to Taylor, too, this this is the other area where I feel like Taylor's understanding of the offense really shines through, right? I think Carson reads out a – or he gets a call, and he's like, this is the play, this is the coverage, this is what's supposed to happen. And it's very just like X's and O's as it's drawn up on paper. Taylor gets a call, realizes Scott is trying to get the ball to someone, and is like, I got you. I'm going to throw it to this guy. And there's just a deeper understanding of what they're trying to do in given situations. And I also love Taylor's uh, comment after the game. I do believe he said, basically, that's why we paid that man that money. Uh, So he understands (laughs) where his bread is buttered uh, in terms of of 17 getting the ball. And I, you know, some of that also might have been favorable matchups where Green Bay trusts uh, Jair Alexander to cover Terry more one-on-one. And he sees more one-on-one coverage than he has in other games. So I don't want to rule that out as a possibility. But as you watch the tape, how were they able to get Terry the ball more and how can they repeat that going forward? You know, I don't think they – it doesn't feel like when you watch it that they made a concerted effort to get Terry the ball. It felt like Taylor was just kind of taking opportunities that were there. Like kind of to your point, like this is a play that, you know, they run and mesh, right? And it's like the first third down conversion, third and two, um, and they're running mesh with Terry. And uh, Heineke kind of loses a little bit of ground moves to his right and uh, hits Terry for the first down. It ends up being like a 15-yard gain because Terry's great after the catch, right? But that's, mm-hmm. again, that's uh, Taylor's understanding of the concept. And even on the big play, right, To uh, for the touchdown, like you look mm-hmm. at it and you say, the ball probably isn't designed to go to Terry, but he looks over there. He's got Jair Alexander in press coverage. And quite frankly, anytime a receiver's got press man-to-man or what looks to be press man-to-man, you want to take a shot to that guy. And so Heineke does a great job. He like checks the left. He holds the safety on the middle of the field and takes his shot. Right. And I think one thing about Carson over the course of these last couple of weeks is that he's not done a great job of identifying those opportunities and and maximizing those opportunities. 
And Taylor in this game did that. And then you get to the play at the end of the game, or then there's the return route, which he catches for a first down kind of in the last little bit there. And that's just, that's a, that's a, that's a touch for Terry. He's going to win that. You feel good about it, get him the football. And then the play at the end of the game on that third and nine, like that is literally just a dude understanding Taylor, understanding the concept, understanding what's going to happen to the defense, and then just trusting your guy. Like that is the most number one receiver catch I've seen Terry make since I've been here. And everyone's like, Oh, he scored these touchdowns. Like for him to win, in that situation, the way he did, coming back to the football, quarterbacks getting hit, and make that play for your guy, like that, again, that's – you can scheme all you want, but sometimes, like, the Jimmys and Joes got to make the plays, right? And that's an example of, like, you just got a dog out there. He's going to make that play for you. And so that, to me, is is kind of him in a nutshell. It's There were some, you know, opportunities that Taylor maximized, like the touchdown being one. The mesh and the, the return route probably just call it you know, kind of execute the offense as you see fit. And then that last play is get your guy the ball and he's going to make a play for you. And I think that's exactly, exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's great for Carson to see if Carson ultimately comes back. Uh, if like, just trust Terry, like get, throw him the ball. Unlike anyone you've had since you, he was, I mean, he had some dudes in Philadelphia. Like Alshon um, Jeffrey. Yeah. Like you can trust Terry, even though he's not as big, like you can trust Terry like you trusted Al- Alshon Jeffrey or Michael Pittman, right? Like those are the yeah. types of guys that he's used to doing that with. And, you know, quite frankly, Terry's not built that same way. And that's not an indictment of Terry. That's more no. just like, but he'll compete to that level. It's like, right. it's like, you know, it, Terry reminds me a lot of Steve Smith, uh, Carolina yeah. Steve Smith, yeah. where it's like traditionally speaking, not big play, vertical, go get it. You know, not vertical as in vertical speed. Vertical as in, like, I will jump and I'll compete you for right. routes. I grew up watching Steve Smith, uh, and that dude might as well have been six foot ten. Like, yeah. he he never lost balls in the air. Um, he m- might not always won them, but, like, you weren't getting picked if you threw the ball towards Steve Smith. Um, he was The worst thing that was going to happen is it was going to be incomplete. And often he was going to catch it or draw a PI because he was a bad man with bad intentions and, you know, Terry is that on the football field, that exact same like hyper competitive way and, and physically gifted uh, with the four, three speed and a good vertical and and all those things too. But there's just a toughness to the way that he plays that if you give him chances, he will reward you. And that is, I think the frustrating thing early on the year is him not getting the touches is when he gets them, he shows you what he can do. So why not give him more? And I'm I'm excited to see if that can continue against other teams um, because I do think probably some of that is dictated by Green Bay's coverages and their choices with Jair to not necessarily double. And so things may look a little bit more open or, or you, don't, you don't necessarily want to give a guy a bunch of chances in triple coverage. Um, right. So the fact that Green Bay was not doing that, I think probably opens it up just a little bit. Yeah, and I mean... But you're you're going against one of the best, you know, probably top five, seven sure. corners in the NFL. Like, and a lot of times teams feel like that's a matchup that they favor, you know, that the favors <clears throat> Green Bay, excuse me. But I mean, it was impressive, man. It was impressive to see Terry do that. And I can't think of a game in recent history where he's been that kind of impactful against an elite cover guy that way. So that was really cool to see. It was cool that Taylor gave him the opportunity and you know, like you said, hopefully that continues, you know, while Taylor's playing. And then when Carson gets back, uh, you know, if Taylor can kind of provide the roadmap for some of that stuff. Yeah, he's definitely had some big ones. I know he had a couple his rookie year when people were still not, kind of not taking him quite as seriously. 
Um, right. It does feel like there's been a bit of a lull in some of those games, and and also he hasn't had the help. So everyone was like, and the "Yeah, we're just going to play the offense, yeah. the offensive line." Like it's it's not it's not entirely on him, but it's yeah, it's nice. But to this kinda, was this was special. Yeah, you know, since getting the contract, to me, this has been his for sure best game. So for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports, Greg Hoffman, Logan Paulson. All right, let's talk defense and let's talk teams. How about special teams making plays uh, for a second straight week? Uh, as you watch this defense, how much of this was their own good play, uh, their own above average play, however you want to characterize it? And how much of this is Green Bay seems broken offensively right now? Yeah, I think, you know, the defense deserves credit. I think they did a good job and you got to make the plays you got to make. But when you go back and watch the All 22, like Aaron Rodgers missed some stuff. Missed some stuff that could have hurt this defense pretty dramatically. And, um, you know, like, again, they did a good job of forcing him into some of those misses. I felt like Aaron Rodgers was just mad frustrated with the situation with Matt LaFleur, with uh, the young receivers. He had a couple drops, and I and I, everyone's like, oh, everyone's quick to point that out. But I do think the defense did a good job when the receiver did have possession of the football of stressing the catch point. You know, there was the Romeo Dobbs fourth and one where um, Cole Holcomb comes over and kind of knocks the arms and the ball pops out. Kendall Fuller, again, same thing on dubs where the ball pops out. That Those those are good defensive plays. I think Jamin and Cole have been just playing super consistently. Defensive line I thought was negated by the time to throw of Green Bay. Um, and I really thought Green Bay should have tried to run the football a little bit more. Should have been okay punting because I think that's the strength of their team. Um Obviously, the secondary, I thought Benjamin St. Juice showed up in some nice ways uh, from a coverage standpoint. He just, you know, it, it's weird kind of juxtaposing him to uh, William Jackson III because he's yeah. just been so much more consistent. He's like, he just understands how to like use his hands and get in like a nice spot where he can like make, uh, you know, make the throwing windows really small. So kudos to him. Kendall Fuller had a nice game. But again, I felt like it was more Green Bay struggling to find who they are and dealing with some of that stuff than it was um, than it was Washington. And that's not saying they played badly. It's just I felt like they didn't get the best version of Green Bay. Yeah, it was like to watch a quarterback just not have any confidence in anything in real anything. time yeah. is pretty wild. And, you know, I also think when they pointed out some of the stuff that Rodgers missed on the broadcast, right? And it's like, oh, well, if he could have thrown deep. And Tony Dungy actually did it on – it wasn't even on the broadcast, on Fox during the game. Like, Tony Dungy mm -hmm. did some of this on the Sunday Night Football pregame. And he's like, well, on the fourth the fourth and whatever play uh, – Sammy where, Watkins. Yeah, Sammy Watkins is running deep. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe that's 
probably a quick call to Dobbs and you know so that play is interesting it's uh it's traditionally a red zone like a like a end zone call and so Mm -hmm. the way that Kyle used to coach reading that is you read flat to sit to go right and so if the corner jumps the go like Kendall did that ball's got to be and it wasn't like Kendall was waiting to jump it's like he jumped it right now Mm -hmm. and so like that should be in his vision according to how other offenses I've been in have read that concept. Right. They might Where be Matt different. was Matt comes out of that tree. So right. So I'm assuming it's something similar. And you think I, it should have been a ball to Watkins? I do. Yeah. I think okay. I, when I watched it, I was like, and again, you understand why he's throwing the ball there because it's fourth and one, get the ball out. Like you said, quick hitter. But the 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 read is like you're reading through that stack, right? So you're looking at the pivot who's kind of picking for the flat. The guy picks, and then if the corner comes into my vision at all. I don't even need to really reset my feet. I can just throw the go. And it wasn't like there was any help over top and Carson and uh, Carson um, Rogers probably knew that. And so I think, yeah, that is, that's a miss by him. Mm. In my opinion, there was another one uh, earlier though. The, I think it was the third down where uh, Dobbs dropped it and Cole is right there. It's kind of a low throw and there's something that comes open like a corner over the top late. Um, and it's one of those two where I think it's just a good reminder that all quarterbacks miss this kind of stuff mm-hmm. where, I was like, okay, it's third and six, and I have a seven-yard sit route that's open now. Right. I can throw it now, or I can wait and potentially get a bigger play down the field. But he took what was available now, and the receiver uh, didn't execute. So that, that one wasn't as egregious to me because mm-hmm. I felt like the window was a little bit better, and I felt like, I, quite frankly, I felt like he could have given him a better ball. Like I know yeah. that sounds crazy because we never talk about that with Aaron Rodgers, but I felt like Aaron was so – he was so unsettled. So many throws were like really – trying to pimp oh i have to get it down and away away from defender it's like just make it an easy catch for your guy and i also wonder how much of that is the thumb as well make it easy yeah that's a great point i totally forgot about that uh yeah make an easy catch but also like when your feet are under your shoulders and your shoulders are square to the receiver like that's not good we talked about mechanics with heineke and traditionally rogers has been able to overcome that stuff but it's tough to be consistent throwing the football when your mechanics your footwork's a little bit off and i felt like he was feeling uh, feeling the rush quite a bit, but the rush wasn't, he was feeling it too quick. I understand the rush was going to get there and and it was, and obviously the defensive line for Washington is very prolific in terms of the pressure they can create. And especially in that two minute situation, I thought the D line did an outstanding job, but there was times where it's like, there's no rush and he's throwing this weird ball, making the catch tough on the receiver, not reading the concept out. And that was something that really stood out to me. And I, again, like that's, the defense deserves credit. You know, I think we mentioned Benjamin St. Just. Obviously, you got to make plays in those situations, even if the quarterback's making the wrong reads. You made it tough to run the football. I think that's also important. But yeah, man, I just think Rodgers wasn't quite himself. Like the guy, the only guy that was like an effective weapon was in terms of pass game was Alan Lazard and then Aaron Jones. Hurt. Yeah. yeah. And he hurt his shoulder, right? Exactly. So um, I, I think that you talk about a group that's uh, really unsettled and got a lot going on. Like Green Bay, to me, seems like a very toxic environment at the moment. And, uh, you know, good good on Washington for taking advantage of that and getting the W. And uh, and because you got to win these games. These are the games you got to win. Is When the offense is struggling, keep them struggling. I thought they did a good job of that. Uh, last thing on the defense before we hit special teams real quick on the way out. How do you feel like the linebackers are progressing? Because yeah. I think facing Rodgers as a mental test is a really great test of that. And we told the story last week about – 
Cole and in his rookie year. And I remember talking to him before and after the game. And he's like, yeah, I've never played a guy like Rogers, like everything <laughs> we were going to do that kind of stuff. So knowing that kind of mental matchup, even if it wasn't maybe the full Rogers effect, because he doesn't trust his teammates right now. Um, but how, how do you feel like Cole is doing in that, that Mike role of getting everybody where they need to be and, and, and obviously he seems to be where he needs to be. He's quickly climbing the NFL tackles chart after a little bit of a slow start. He's currently mm -hmm. fifth in the league in tackles. Um, and then Jamin coming along as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've talked about this before, but I think the addition of Cam Curl has been really helpful. I think mm -hmm. Cam Curl and Bobby McCain and the communication that they bring as a duo have helped Cole a little bit. And I think it, it, that having that support system there is a big deal because it allows Cole to then kind of, communicate in a more confident manner and i think um you know kai mentioned this on his podcast which i think is interesting that you know now jamin's starting to communicate things he sees and i think mm -hmm. that whole group is getting much more confident and they're playing much better and you know it's weird when you go to pff last year these guys were all grading in like the reds and the yellows and now it's the the blue the greens and the blues which is much better grading system for them and obviously like pff the grading system is somewhat flawed at times but I do think that shows up. I think that you see that with Jamin making the tackle for loss on Aaron Jones on the flat route. He's in position, he's in relationship, and he doesn't miss the tackle, right? And then, you know, there's a couple of things on inside, outside zone where he makes a play cutting underneath the tackle, cutting underneath the block and tackling the back for a loss in the backfield. And then Cole is always kind of Mr. Consistent around the football play in that mic spot. So, yeah, that, that group deserves a ton of credit. I think, um, you know, again, Kyle brought this up on his podcast, so credit to him. Um, I think the one thing you worry about with that group still is that there's not a whole lot of depth at the moment, right? You got two guys who are playing good football that you can win games with, and then it's a little bit dicey about who's going to play if something were to happen to one of those guys. But they're playing well. The back end, I think, is doing a much better job. Uh, Wild Goose, I think, deserves some credit, too, to come in. Yeah. Be doing a good job at the nickel. And then, obviously, the defensive line just – I mean, they're a bunch of studs. And I think the crazy thing is, obviously, the big names are playing well. But the FAO Bottas, the James Smith Williams, the Casey Tuhills, those guys are also doing a great job. And, you know, in the last drive there, you get Montez Sweat and Casey Tuhill meeting at the quarterback two, two or three plays in a row. And who would have thought when the season started that you would have that kind of pass rush in those situations, especially from the left end spot with Chase being out. So right. the other thing I want to bring up is that last drive where they scored the penalties. Yes. The penalties mm -hmm. were a big, very frustrating thing for me as a fan um, and, you know, an analyst of football, because that could have could have, quite frankly, been the difference between winning and losing that game. And yes. they were a little bit undisciplined in terms of the type of penalty. So I think that's again, you see they're on the verge of being great. I think the defense very, very good. But then that kind of stuff pops up and you're like, oh, man, if they do that against a better football team. They do that against, I don't know, Philadelphia, for example, or or Dallas. That's a game that you lose. And you see against Dallas, that is a, that's how they lost that game. It was kind of silly penalties that led to first downs. They were 0-6 on first down, uh, Green Bay was, outs, and then, but they got two conversions off of penalties, right? 0-6 oh, so on third down, you mean? Yeah, 0-6 on third down, excuse me. And then the penalty thing. And the mm -hmm. last drive, like you basically hand them that touchdown at the end of the game. Right. So that's something I think that you kind of keep, keep need to keep grinding with and improving on because that's those are the differentiating fa factors between being an okay defense and a good defense. Something that we're going to have to talk about soon, not today, is how this all changes when Chase gets back. Uh, mm -hmm. The practice clock is 
supposed to start on him on Wednesday. That is the plan from what Ron Rivera told JP Finley on Monday in their one-on-one interview uh, and barring some last minute setback uh, as folks are listening to this on Wednesday, uh, the practice that is about to start or already happened, depending on what time of day you're listening, uh, Chase Young was is scheduled to be out there. So can they keep that discipline? What does it look like to try to make sure you both maximize Chase, but don't hurt kind of what has been working? Uh, we don't expect him to play this weekend, so we can table that conversation for another day. But certainly that is a conversation that is coming as the former number two overall pick gets his way or makes his way back from that ACL injury. Uh, last thing we want to talk about for today, though, is special teams. A oh, yeah, couple yeah. of monster plays. Uh, and Tressway strikes again. Uh, old left-footed punter making things difficult. Uh, you have a ball downed inside the one. Um, just another like really fantastic day for them on teams, which is an area that they have struggled at times earlier this year. And by the way, the return game uh, with Gibson back there also, I would say, is a net plus. Yeah, I think so. And I think the other thing that took out to me was the lack of penalties. Like when you juxtapose it with Green Bay, who's they're they're getting false starts on punt, they're getting holding on punts, they're doing all this different stuff. I, I think there was one penalty they had to re-kick one one punt Washington did. But outside of that kind of stuff, I think you know that that clean the clean sheet, obviously the fumble was big, getting the recovery by Percy Butler. And, you know, I think the one that's down inside the one, the ball that's down inside the one, again, Percy Butler making an outstanding effort because that is a penalty if Christian Holmes does touch that ball first. So, like, his effort to kind of keep that ball out, touch the football, and then they get, you know, it allows Christian Holmes to kind of execute that play. Just excellent job by that unit. And, again, like, dropping a punt is a little bit outside of your control. Um, but it's nice when the, the other team does that and you can capitalize on it. And they've been able to do that. I think that speaks to – excellent gunner play because they're down there to recover the football right like how many times have you seen a guy drop the ball and then kind of muff around with it for a second pick it up and run because mm-hmm. the gunners the coverage unit's not down there so these guys are playing at a high level in that regard um i already mentioned percy butler nice to see him back out there this is one of the things they thought he would bring and he's been nice in this role you know and so good to see him back out there healthy and then you mentioned the return game and i think you just see it uh, a nice uh, like we've talked about this before but a really good way to get Gibson touches on a consistent mm-hmm. basis. And um, I think he did a good job with it. I mean, he got a 32 yard return and then he averaged 26 yards uh, on the day. So nice, uh, nice feature there. And hopefully you can get some big ones coming here in the future. Yeah. It's pretty simple on the, the kick return game. Are, is your starting field position better than the 25? And if right. it is, then he's doing a great job. And if he's not, then he needs, he needs to let the ball go through the end zone more often. And Gibson is consistently kind of catching them right on that line where it's I, like, I would honestly expect teams to try to kick through the end zone more often. Like, I think you will mm. see not a ton of returns for Gibson. Hopefully you're not seeing a ton because that means you've given up scores. But in general, like, I think the percentage is going to start to drop where teams go. Yeah, we don't want to kick to that guy because it's a potential touchdown. Uh, he's, he's capable in a way that Milne really was not. And you're also losing field position. So. I'm that right. that's a trend to to follow. Um and Milne's doing a good job. I think you've done a good job of kind of defending Dax Milne's honor on punt return. And you're right. Um, you know, he's he catches the ball consistently, which we see on the other side of the field, uh, what kind of problems that can cause. And he's gotten he gotten some positive yardage, but at the end of the day, he's and, not losing them yardage and that hidden yardage becomes super important. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. We didn't use the phrase hidden yardage, but some of these sacks that Taylor is avoiding, you know, the stuff yeah. on the punt returns, like all these little things add up over the course of time and can be the difference in you know having to go 60 yards for a touchdown or 80, which can be the difference between seven and three or 
three and a punt. So that that stuff does win you football games. And to your point, like even Dax, like, you know, again, he's not the most explosive player in the whole world, but he caught a punt sprinting forward into kind of a crowd and catches that ball there. And if that ball hits there, A, you could hit one of your own players. And B, if it get, takes an unfortunate bounce, that ball rolls for 10, rolls for 15. So even though it, that, that doesn't show up as a return, to me, he saved the, the team 10 to 20, 10 to 15 yards of field position and maybe a turnover if it hits one of your own guys. And again, that's just being good decision. That's being sure-handed. And I totally agree with you that the the thing to move, you know, obviously Dax has been solid in that regard and that's good, but, you know, finding a way to cultivate a big play on special teams with Gibson back there, I think is a huge plus, right? So you maybe are kind of playing it safe with Dax, but also you are kind of giving yourself a little bit of an edge with Gibson back returning kicks. So and the other thing I want to just bring up real quick, because you mentioned Heineke in the hidden yards, like obviously like we're, we're, we were talking about how well Heineke did, right. How, how, how well he played and the things he did in terms of elevating this offense. I also want to point that point out that the first like seven snaps of this game, the ball was in harm's way too much. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think if they're going to win football games moving forward, that is definitely 1000% something that is going to need to be taken care of. And we talked about how the ball, you know, off the fumble was they were able to salvage that or whatever, but they really, really need to make sure that he settles in quickly because like looking back on it, there's probably four or five, you know, interception worthy type plays that weren't called. And even though I think the interception that he did throw was probably like less egregious, those other throws that were not interceptions make up for that, if, if that makes sense. So it's important that yeah. like while, while we're defending Taylor, there's also some stuff there early on, especially that we weren't very happy with. Right. And that gets to some of the stuff I was talking about, too, with mechanics and, yeah, and yeah. that kind of stuff. It really uh, can can put ball the ball in harm's way far more often than it should be. All right. Uh, next podcast from us will be the preview for the Colts game on Friday. Uh, if you want more, check out the radio show for sure. Zaire Franklin, uh, Colts. Soon to be Pro Bowl, uh, maybe even all pro the way he's playing this year. Um, linebacker is going to be on the show with us uh, on Wednesday. So make sure that you check out the Hoffman Show 3 to 6 daily on the team 980. We are Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we will have our Colts preview Friday morning wherever you are listening right now. If you want more from us, make sure that you are following along with Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Uh, and I am on Twitter at Craig Hoffman and at Hoffman Show. Uh, I'm on Instagram too, but right now you're just going to get a lot of, we got our wedding photos in. So you're going to get a lot of wedding content. That's you want that. Find me. If, if not, just stick to Twitter. That's really, there, there were some good pictures though. You showed me some, there's some great, day. there's oh, our great, photographers were incredible. Great photos. Uh, so yeah, if you want that, uh, at Craig underscore Hoffman on Instagram, go ahead, give it a follow, help my content engagement. All right. Uh, make sure most importantly, subscribe to this here podcast, take command from Odyssey sports, and we'll see you Friday for the next. Bye.